1: Welcome to
2: the Sherlock's Weekly Highlights podcast with me, Georgie Corridge-Cole. This week, I'm joined by Charlotte Collins, Maya Lucky, and founders of the Step Up Club, Alice Olin's and Fenella Nail Fine. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. So let's start off talking about London Fashion Week. Charlotte, you were there yesterday. So we're kind of in the midst of London Fashion Week. As
3: we speak, well, it'll be over by the time this is broadcast, everybody can go to and get back to normal scheduling. So that's why you sound so awesome. that is, Yeah, that is why I'm not necessarily my freshest. Um, but yeah, I had a great day yesterday doing a load of the shows, so I saw Annie here in the morning, which was amazing actually, I was saying to the team before, because the show started about half an hour late, so sometimes you kind of go into the show space and it's all dark and you know, you might kind of catch sight of the odd editorial shoe, but you don't necessarily see that many people. Because the show started late, they didn't open the doors for like half an hour, so Everyone was standing on the street and I mean everyone Edward Edmundful Eva Chen Giovanna Battaglia like literally getting house they were standing on the street it was yeah. quite chilled it was like 10 o'clock in the morning so I don't think anyone was like had been too inconvenienced yet in their day um, but yeah and it wasn't raining so and I think why were they difference. half an hour late
2: did it merit being half an hour late it
3: was a lovely show I have no idea it was quite technical they kind of built like a it was like a doll's house and it kind of all lit up and then all the models kind of it's, it was like the doll's house came alive and the models kind of all came in and out of it and it was all kind of cutesy and fun but it was just the most amazing people watching like ridiculous and she always does something there.
2: really cool with her shows yeah. mm-hmm. she, she's kind of renowned for mm-hmm. it what was her party piece it,
3: it was this this structure so it just looked like a, it was all dark and then as the show started it was like every window and doorway kind of lit up and as they say all the models came out and it was so complicated I mean I have no idea how they knew where they were which door they were going back in you know those like cuckoo clocks where the doors <laughs> pop open and girls come out and then they go back in do you know what yeah, I mean yeah. yeah like it was like that it was kind of and then the house like died at the end it, they kind of all went in and it was like Ooh, um, kind of malfunction, no and, it, and it died was it was the, really cool
1: what was the link between the invitation and the show I think it was the 1930s house yes oh, so I so think that was link. the connection I well, see. Yeah. why is the it, because because so so I think it think was brand like, of the house oh
3: see fine clearly this passed me by but there we go now we are
2: that <laughs> Alice, you're from a fashion background. I am. Have you given up your careers now? I mean, I know that Step Up, the Club, the book, is just going phenomenally well. Are you do you still have your careers on top of that? Yes, I think
4: ever since we started, we felt very strongly and that it was incredibly important that we both still had our kind of our separate careers because they feed into the Step Up Club and they help give us our own personalities, mm. kind of both in careers terms and just in our own interests. And increasingly they're being absorbed into the Step Up Club, but I think we'll always... I mean, I continue to write freelance, and Fenella still does her coaching. Um, I think it's important that we still have that, yeah. but I mean less and less just gives due you to the time pressures and mm. things like that. And it makes it so relevant. I started at The Times, and I was there for 10 years as a fashion writer, mm. um, and then I've been the fashion features director at Red magazine and at Marie Claire, um, and I'm still a contributing editor at Red, and I write for whoever will have me basically and <laughs> <laughs> um, generally I do stuff for the telegraph and I actually do quite of interior stuff for living etc and oh people really? like that as well yeah so. so are you involved in fashion week no, I'm the only fash- fashion person. <laughs> that just, I just delete every single invite I get. <laughs> 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 that, that's the
2: fashion person. We, I will be. Alice I, always
4: says that you spent so long. I've done going so to the many shows. like months, you know, like mm. back to back four weeks, and I just, I never really enjoyed. There are, there are elements of it that I love, but I just, I just never really massively enjoyed it. And now that I don't have to do it, and you can get so much of it by basically mm. via Instagram, yeah. um, I just, I don't know. I just mm. don't. I, last season, actually, this time last year, I was. I was at Red, and so I did a lot with them. And it's great to kind of do it and be with the team and be in the car and have all the chat and stuff like that. So I think I'm not saying I'll never go again, but it's like as a freelancer, also, it's not as fun. You're always trying to find people, and yeah. I don't know. I just I just don't love Fashion Week. No. I basically don't oh, like not being able to eat when I want to eat <laughs> <dinner>. <laughs> and having to wear heels on the weekend at ten o'clock in the morning. You yeah. yeah. Go oh, and I felt very
3: up walking off to this tube. Like, oh yeah, I it's, like, that, that
4: watching, morning, yeah. that nine a.m. Mm. on a
3: Saturday it's Sunday, no.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I have to say, it's never... In the early days of Shared Arts, so I did a bit of the shows. But I, it's that kind of... I'm not really someone who suffers from imposter syndrome, but to me, I think of everything I've ever done, that is the environment in which I felt most sort of out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to
4: write something or do a blog post yesterday, or an Instagram post, sorry, on how I'm the only fashion person who's not fashion week, happily not a fashion week. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. Like, I'm not desperate to go to those mm-hmm. shows. I actually genuinely don't want to go. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, well, actually. Maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> yeah. a kind of courting some brands and stuff. I don't know. Mm. I just thought equally. But you know, I think things are changing. I think um, in ten years' time, there isn't going to be mm. four weeks of fashion shows twice a year. Mm. Also, so I'm, I'm just—we're
2: just massively ahead of the curve. I am like our readers. I am far more interested in now. I, I'm actually—I mean, yeah, there are a few shows I want to see. I want to see what Victoria Beckham's doing. Obviously, I am genuinely interested in Annie High Marsh, mm. and you know, there are various other ones and uh, ones that you know I'm particularly you know, I'm a particular fan of the designers, so I want to see what they send down the runway. But actually, I don't give a shit about what's oh gonna God. be what's gonna be out in spring summer. I'm like literally just by my autumn winter now. Oh, yeah, and it just doesn't interest me. And our readers are the same. And funny enough, content I think being a digital publication, the content that we've produced over the years, and it'll be interesting to see this year how it mm-hmm. does because I know we've got a bit in there. Yes. it's never just it's just never done that well. And our our readers no, they're not. They don't live and die yeah. for fashion. They, they want to
3: wear. But I think it's changing in that direction as well because so many of the. So I was at Topshop yesterday afternoon as well, and so I was speaking to a lot of different influencers and bloggers, and so many of them say, "Oh, you know what? My readers actually aren't that bothered, so I only go to Topshop, for example, mm-hmm. because it's you know shopable now, or same with kind of Burberry, or because you know they want to see what I'm wearing." And it's. I think the more That's the, the interesting. Bit. Totally, it's the street style as well. And so I think the more that people are kind of consuming their fashion week content via influencers. Mm-hmm. They're going to become more kind of, and the less relevant all of what's going down the runway feels to them, Mm. the more they're going to maybe take that approach and think, actually, this is just so irrelevant.
2: Um, While we're on the topic of fashion, let's talk about workwear, um, because, well, for us, whenever we do content on workwear, it does really well. And that's something that you're getting involved (laughs) in, giving advice on via the Step Up Club.
3: Yeah, we've just done a survey on um, on our to our sent out to our newsletter subscribers. We send out a newsletter every week with kind of careers content, but also sign up. It's brilliant. It's, it's really, really good. Um, uh, and uh, and we send out also styles. And we've just done a kind of and we're relaunching our website this week. It's gonna be amazing. Um, and so we've just done a survey to all of our newsletter subscribers, and what we've got back is that they love work style. Um, and they really, really want to see more of it. Other than the couple who replied and said that they thought that it devalued our mm. message around careers and feminism, but um, oh, but we nice actually so you know What I'm not, I'm no. not. I, I actually don't think it's difficult. and I'm not from a fashion background at all, and um, but I love fashion, and I'm really into what I wear, and I and I shop a lot, and I and I and I buy things, you know, based on the season and based on on what I love, and and I don't think that devalues my intelligence or devalues my career. Really and sure. there are lots of women that we work with in the city and um, in really senior creative roles who love what they wear. So. I I think that, you know, you can be uh, multifaceted. and
1: I think power dressing is a title for a reason, yeah. for me personally anyway. I think it's so much more it's not about being interested in fashion I think there's such a kind of inverse snobbery
3: about people wanting to kind of look a certain way or present themselves in a certain way, but you don't have to be about. it doesn't even have to be about style and fashion it's just about wearing the clothes that make you look professional or whatever it is you're trying to convey and make you feel good I think it's so wrong whether you you know care one jot about what's in style or not Mm -hmm. to think that it's not important what you wear to work whatever you do I think I think is is arrogant actually and and I mean as an aside it is actually really important for men so when for example if I'm coaching a man in a bank and he wants to get a new job and he looks horrendous Mm -hmm. you know it's got like you know shirt buttons put in (laughs) a big kind of belt but I will say something about it so you know just they've got less choice in what they wear but I mean it's still and they do yeah they do
2: care and the money my husband spends on his work, she's like, really much yeah, yeah. He's like, honey, yeah, this is important, and he sort of has to justify it. But actually, yeah, it is, and that they have a nice suit, and that it's yeah. a good or time. Yeah, watches. Yeah, watches. Yeah, yeah. That guy's doing really well. Yeah, well. I know. I know. <laughs> so, what is the advice that you give to women when it comes to dressing for work? And you don't just cover women in the corporate world. I hate no, to no. add. Is there a rule that fits everyone? What do you talk about? So I think what we've touched on is the underlying point is that you need
4: to feel good about yourself and it's okay to use clothes to empower you, to build your confidence, to kind of help you be perceived in a certain way that's authentic but there's no kind of there's nothing wrong with um, leveraging on what you wear and I think personally speaking we come at it from kind of two different angles so whenever we do events or content for fashion brands or even just as we in, in our kind of life working a step up Fenella is definitely the kind of more corporate smarter one and I am the more kind of trainers and dungarees
2: one. Just to qualify that Fenella you are a career coach
3: yeah, so my background's in the city. I was a lawyer and then a, a fund manager at J.P. Morgan, and now I'm a career coach. Right. Well, I'm step up, but I'm also a career coach. Yeah. And Alice is very yeah, okay. uh, And right now, Alice is wearing jeans and I'm wearing a dress. And that's pretty <laughs> no, <I> mean. <laughs> standard, standard yeah.
4: yeah. And if I was going to wear a dress, I'd probably wear it with trainers. And if Nella was going to wear jeans, she'd wear them in a kind of smarter mm-hmm. way. But, it just, but we would dress how we dress. It's just us as people. But I think it's a... I mean, the the point of the Step Up Club and something that makes us unique is that we come from these two very different Mm. points of view in terms of our career. It's something that made us feel excited at the beginning when we thought let's do something, like we have very different career trajectories, we've got different points of view but we share a vision and a goal and values and lots and lots of important things that make um, the Step Up Club really authentic, but equally we come at it from these two points of view, so at events there'll be people who kind of nod a lot when Fenella talks and there'll be other people that nod a lot when I talk, (laughs) but that kind of you know, our whole point, our whole kind of reason for being is to modernise the conversation around women's careers you know, careers aren't stuck in a boardroom with a flip chart, that's not what they are and we feel very strongly that like you are doing today we should be talking about careers in the same way and with the same enthusiasm and style as we talk about fashion wellness food our homes all of those things it's kind of odd that careers is a little bit further behind and then sometimes people are like oh you run us at women's careers okay that's interesting but like there is this kind of dry assumption around the subject But actually we've all got amazing careers we've met so many amazing women from like a whole host of different careers and the people who uh, read our newsletter who follow us who kind of become involved in our events They come from a whole host of different areas and I think that's what makes it feel exciting and dynamic Mm. is that because we aren't from the same industries, we bring different skills and different viewpoints and hopefully that comes through in what we do.
2: And I think it's so brilliant how you're sort of making it cool to want to invest yeah. in your career as a woman. And I think as someone with two daughters, I feel so strongly, it's so apparent that their careers are going to be so different than ours are. You know I would say if it wasn't for breastfeeding, I mean, it was paternity, maternity leave, it's going to change so much. It's going to be so interesting to see how different it is like for their generation. I also think breastfeeding is the thing that kind of... Not gets in the way, but kind of mm-hmm. th- there's going to be always an element of maternity. But you know, I think that what they have ahead of them is just so it's so different to what we have. So I think it's it's incredible to be, yeah, to be making it really cool and modern and current. And I think no one's, no one does that like you, I mm-hmm. don't think. Thanks. <laughs> that is what we we do try and do. We also have daughters, so we also, yeah, well, think well, no, think I know. And do not look at them and think you're not, there'll be no choice, you know, there'll be a few, but I still feel like for my generation, there are a lot of women making a choice to work. I feel like for my daughter's generation, the majority won't
3: have a choice. Have I mean, I think the choice is already being taken away from people, um, and there are. And in some ways, they have less choice because they're going to have to work. But in some ways, they have more choice because they're going to have partners who are more likely. You know, we are partners yeah. who share the load. All of us working, mm-hmm. but um, uh, but there are lots in our generation who still don't. And yeah. actually, increasingly, that's it's just going to be the norm. They're going to see their dads um, sharing the load, and so that's going to become normal because you know. Our, parental influence is so hugely important.
2: Mm. Anyway, fashion in summary, are there any rules you say to everyone? This is what you got to, you know, this is what you got to think, this is what you have got to adhere to is there anything generic you say? Yeah, we say um, this is
3: this is uh, Alice told me this, and we have it in our book, and we talk about it quite a lot, and it's super useful to me as well um, because it's it's a um, time saving, but be very empowering to kind of stick with what you are or what you love, and that's have a, a work style uniform. Mm-hmm. So uh, Alice's would be shirt, a jacket, jeans, mm-hmm. and mine would be a dress and heels and A, it helps you to get dressed in the morning because you kind of know that's what you're going to go for. Don't deviate, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But B, it's also very liberating because you can say, actually, like, I don't have to try all these different looks Mm. because actually that's my look and I can update it, you know, seasonally and obviously I can deviate Yeah,
2: Because I often feel the pressure not to, I don't know about you, you. I could wear a jacket and jeans every single day or a silk and jeans fit mm. and i'm like oh i gotta stop wearing jeans but actually why should i yeah. stop wearing jeans but also i think
4: the point is not necessarily in office like this where everyone knows each other intimately but in a big corporate office or an office where you don't know everyone we say that if you have like a look and an identity people can identify you by yeah, how you look when conversation is out of bounds and you can't always speak to everyone they can identify you by being the woman that likes to wear red lipstick or the woman who invests in, you know has amazing shoes and actually that's really powerful yeah. as well because yeah. you don't want to be you want to have an identity I think yeah. if you are constantly have a different look the whole time, I also have that thing. I shouldn't wear jeans again today. To you, okay. yeah, I'm kind of only looking for my But I think actually having that identity at work is really important.
2: On the topic of women, motherhood, let's talk a bit about fertility because whether you're trying for a baby or just curious about what the future might hold, so I'm looking at you, Charlotte and Maya. <laughs> um, I really think it makes sense to be as informed as possible about your fertility. And I was at a birthday party in the summer and there's a woman there who's in her 40s and she's quite high power career. And this is really a true story. And she was quite stressed. She had a few drinks, she wasn't pregnant. She's was quite stressed. I was like, just go and have some tests. Like, why are you mucking around? Go and find out. I mean, I'm a complete control freak. But I was like, go and find out what's for. What, and then if you need to take action, you can. Mm-hmm. But I've always been, and even when I started trying with my first, I went off and had some tests because I just wanted to know what I was dealing with. So to me, the idea that kind of at whatever age, you could go and find out what you're dealing with so that when it comes to it, you might know if, you know, you don't have as many eggs as you perhaps might need. Or, you, you know, just to know it might take you a while, I think is a powerful thing. I also yeah. acknowledge its as power. Mm-hmm. I How agree. do you, yeah. as women in their 20s, <laughs> but both with serious other hearts neither of you married yet but you know one day Charlotte <laughs> yeah Charlotte before me yeah. um, is it something that you think oh I'd quite like to know or are you just not in that zone so it's not of interest at all
1: Now, I do agree I think I would like to know and I've quite openly spoken about it before then when in the office last year I started having like this really strong actually for quite a few years I've been having them but really strong pains Nothing related, I thought, to, you know, like time of month, whatever. And I went and got it checked out. I had an internal scan, all my tubes and everything checked. And I was terrified. I had such anxiety that they were going to tell me, oh, you've got serious problems in your infertile. So for me, it would relieve so much anxiety around that. And I am fine. So it's fine for me nice now. nice to know, though. It's nice to know. And I think closer to the time when I would be considering to have a baby, I would most likely get some more checks just to check because it was a very generic GP kind of appointment check. But I think I would, and I think, like you say, you want to know what you're dealing with. I'm a sight control freak. I do have, I would say, quite a lot of anxiety tendencies. So I, I definitely see the importance in it.
3: I so the complete opposite. I have absolutely no interest in no... I have no interest, well, currently, in children, in my fertility, in... I, 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 I'm kind of self-aware enough to know that it's like kind of the arrogance of youth. You know, when people are like, oh, well, you should really look after yourself. I mean, I'm not very I good with the whole... Yeah yeah, 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 I'll have a cig. I'll not wash my face properly. Like, I'm really not very good with the whole, like, you know, invest in all of this. For the future, Mm -hmm. so maybe when I'm thirty, I'll look back and be like, "God, that was so reckless. I should, yeah, you know, I should have checked this kind of thing out." Mm -hmm. But. I don't know. It just feels so far from. I mean, I'm so far off having children. I have no interest whatsoever, anytime soon. So don't fair, enough. Don't really, fair enough. I just, I remember yeah. that feeling, and
4: I remember because one of my good friends had her daughter quite young, and I remember going to her first birthday and just being like, I just cannot be bothered to even pretend I want to have kids. And I was <laughs> yeah. the one drinking in the corner, and obviously now I am a mother. But I think like enjoy that feeling because yeah. you will get to the stage where you need to try and. I don't know. Like you don't get that time back, and I That's think I feel, yeah. just enjoy it when you're in it, and then when you're getting near. I I don't know if you're married or you start considering it then i would say that you know it's worth it actually you know um i think it's okay to talk about it because she's written a massive blog post this last week but you know Catherine Ulmerod, yes mm-hmm. Yes, oh, yes. From she work, work, she? so yeah. she is now pregnant but she struggled and we, i spoke to her about it quite a lot and it took them 18 months to get pregnant and she went and had herself tested and she said which actually i didn't even really think about it in these terms but she said broadly speaking though you can have three essentially issues one with either the sperm or the egg one with implantation and one with uh, another element which i can't actually bring call cool to my hers was a problem with implantation so she ovulated late and therefore even though they the, the egg and the um, sperm that were they fertilized they they were she basically had her period too soon, and there was a problem with
3: implantation. And she, so her yeah, point, short, yeah, there, her I point was, I'd still be flogging a dead horse now if mm. I hadn't have gone and got. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, she so got, I think but she, but she got tested when she was already trying, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I just think you you could cause yourself this huge anxiety. Mm. Also, that oh my god, there's some problem, and I'm not going to be able to get pregnant, so I'm not ready. But I better start trying now because yeah. you know, and actually, neither you nor your partner are ready for it, and you don't want it. And why cause yourself that? You yeah. know, when you're actually trying, yeah. fine. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I was told. That this is quite personal I don't know why I'm saying this because you know a podcast feels like you're in a private so definitely. I've got polycystic <laughs> ovaries just in case anyone has mm-hmm. them and thinks they might be able to have children I have three children yeah. um, and I've not had any um, fertility assistance at all um, and I was told um, by the gynecologist when I was quite a lot younger that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant without really a lot young. of assistance and um so I should uh, come mm. up the pills you know so for like a couple of years and then yeah. we could start doing some tests I was pregnant like three weeks later <laughs> I, unintentionally and quite young oh, yeah, wow. yeah. so my son's think, turning nine I think it's a really yeah.
2: common misconception and I'm not saying by the way before I get abused, that people with polycystic ovaries don't have problems no of course but it's just, know, just not necessarily true women yeah who probably quite a young age or quite early on in their married life or whatever it is get told the words polycystic ovaries and go into panic yeah. and rush and then they get pregnant first time and what is i mean there i mean i know tons and tons, yeah, and tons yeah. of t- i don't actually know anyone who hasn't had children who has polycystic ovaries like, i think i'm not saying that they don't exist. it's not the case yeah. that it can mm. be difficult no. but it's it's th- also one of those things I think women can hype up into yeah. something that there, not degree. there are degrees there are degrees there
3: are degrees right and yeah. and why cause yourself that terrible anxiety mm-hmm. and rush something when actually you know as it happens it's been lovely for me to have kids young and, yeah. and it's wonderful having an older kids now but still um why rush yeah
2: and yeah. um, on the subject of fertility we wrote a piece on sperm donors because with the power to delay motherhood comes a modern conundrum If you want children but haven't met the perfect person yet, do you go it alone? And I think this is a fascinating topic. At the same party I was telling about, I also met another woman who worked in the city who had a son via sperm donor, and I was fascinated Mm. to hear about it. And I know someone who I think should do it, and she's in her late thirties. She's very successful, hasn't met the right person, she's got Rico's family, and and I I think she should do it, Mm. and I would do it. And you're we're hearing about it more and more, and I think it's only gonna. I think it's only gonna become more and more common. Single mother by choice, That's what you're known as if you've had a child by a sperm donor. So I thought this was a really fascinating piece, and it talked about whether your donor has any rights. Um, I thought that was true. Yeah, they have real.
3: Yeah. Uh, right to contact, I thought it was quite scary. I do over the age of
1: 18, the child oh, No, the child has, but the
3: father's got rights at any point. Yeah. It says somewhere here. But
1: not to contact. The donor them.
3: also has the yes. right to contact oh, their to offspring.
1: Contact at yeah. any time. It doesn't say. I stay. think, isn't it, after the age of 18? I, don't know. I, think, it's the, I think I think it is. But whatever it is, like. Yeah. That's a
2: random. Really, I mean, yeah. You might have wondered This your is a transaction, away. I think. Sorry to sound. No, it's really brutal about it. They want to, you know, but not, it, not to to have real- a family. Yeah, yeah I, agree. I think you've got a right... I no. mean, I, I was pretty outraged by that, but I was also interested to read that you can have the same donor for future siblings, which I thought was really yeah. a great yeah, thing. Nice. Anyway, it said that it's growing in popularity amongst single women in their late 30s and 40s, so no surprises there. Do you, Fenella, Alice, do you know anyone Well, who's actually, gone down that road? Um, on Friday night, I had a
4: dinner with my girlfriend. There's about six of us who are like a group, and there were four of us there. And one of my girlfriends is in that position. And I know she has um, kind of started thinking about that and gone down that road. And we were debating what age, because we all have kids, actually, luckily, um, who were there. And we were debating what age we would, if, if that, we were in that position. And I kind of said, you know, right now, like 37, 38. Yeah. And one of my girlfriends said, no, well, I would wait till I was 45. And I'm like, well, that's that's pretty late, Because mm-hmm. then you're kind of doing yourself out of the chance or reduce, significantly reducing. And her point was that you know if i suppose if you're in that position you're still hoping you're gonna you don't really want that to be the way that you have your children mm-hmm. so I think it's easy for us to discuss it in a kind of casual way and say well I would definitely do that now at 38 but her point was and she has kids this one but I thought it was just an interesting kind of um, take was that well, wouldn't you try and hold out for as long as possible because actually if you're suddenly pregnant and you meet a guy who you really like like how does that complicate yeah. Yeah. that situation and I don't know I hadn't really because it's so easy to say I oh, would definitely do it I definitely do it but you're still kind of hanging on to maybe one journey of your life mm-hmm. and then you're taking a massive step and you know my friends
2: also got a close family and she would be able to do it but I just but then you're risking you're risking denying yourself motherhood yeah. which well, yeah, I would no, argue no, no, is course. more important maybe than a relationship or and then more chances at a relationship regardless but motherhood, 37, motherhood th-
3: say if you're 37 you still potentially got a while that you could be having a baby I don't know I'm just thinking about yeah. my oldest son I'm a lot younger than the other mums in the class and there are Quite a few mums in their fifties in his class. Because mm. yeah. quite, quite one, a few. Wait until forty-five. Yeah. So you've got a five-year-old when you're fifty. I mean, I think it's no. I mean, the... yeah, and they probably are having children at forty-two. Mm. Really? So yeah, I know that's, so that's that's no, that's very common. That's but, totally but, very, but, very but, common. But then yeah. you think? That, but then you've got such old parents as you no, get older. People aren't. I, d- I don't know. I don't think people are. People are. so old. My parents are in that. You know, my mum's in her in her sixties. and she is a lot fitter than I am. She looks about. Fifty max. Mm. She's super young. You know, she's going to live for another forty-five years. You know, I, yeah. I think.
2: But I've just had. Year. So I just had my. I had my third at thirty-six. I've got loads of girlfriends who've, like, just having number two, and they've had them close together, mm-hmm. and that's really like for me. I had my first when I was thirty, and there's a. This we were really young. Me and one of my greatest friends. We were kind of the first of all of our friends, and now and there's another whole batch that have had their first children. So, I guess, yeah, to be so desperate at 36, to feel like you've lost, you know, everything's, there are no other options, is, it is young, mm. but equally... I think it's back to the control freaking really, mm. I think, mm. is, as you said, the fact that you're... To do it. On,
3: it very much depends on your circumstances as well, doesn't yeah. it? You know, can you afford uh, how much other support For you sure. have, because mm. we always say one of the most important, you know, how much do you value your career... Um, we always say one of the most important things in progressing your career once you have children is this, your support network. Um, and so that's going to make yeah, absolutely. a huge difference think, if you're doing yeah. it by yourself. Not everybody has the same decision to make.
2: No, mm. no, but there are probably quite a lot of women in the corporate world who do have the financial means to do it. And probably the reason that they haven't focused on a relationship or parenthood is because of their career. True. Mm. So it probably kind of ties up. But going back to what you said, I think you'd be surprised... How many women are having in their forties? Yeah, I just, I'm just thinking so, about okay.
3: from when I don't know from when you're older having a. It's not or old twenty. Yeah, no, well, not well, well no, I, think maybe I received
4: not. two invitations this. We received two invitations this weekend for fiftieth. Yeah. for dads in our in our class, and their children are five. And dads yeah. are amazing. They're if, like, I mean, you'd bat your eye if they said forty, yeah. and they're fifty. I sure. mean, I, I also had that feeling when I was younger, weirdly, at school. One of my friends had like. Older parents, mm-hmm. and the mum was older than the dad, which I just blew my mind. So. I know, <laughs> yeah, right, not I sure. still, yeah, yeah, that's so right. mind, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just like a weird. Day. I, grew up yeah. And yeah. I, I, I was, and my old. parents were a little bit older. I mean, by a couple of years. And I used to find it. I didn't like it. People asked me how old my parents mm. were. I really, it was like p- mm. part of my identity. Found it odd, but I think when you start having children and you
2: realise, I don't know, this. It, it's but I about do who think you are. And, but I do think even since we were children... Totally, things have changed. The world, yeah, you know, completely. age is... What's age is nothing, and mm. it's all about your spirit and yeah. your approach to life, and that sounds like a little waffle, but I really think... You know, you get people in their 40s with friends in their early 20s and older and younger, mm-hmm. and, and I just think the world's really changed for the better in that way. Like, mm. it's not this... It's not so segregated no, by age, it's not <coughs> oh, equally I had friends, my bestest friend, her dad was in his seventies, and she wouldn't tell anyone mm. his age, she was really embarrassed, about two girls in my, yeah, anyway. Let's talk about flying, hmm. because we wrote a piece on fear of flying and how to overcome it, because it's estimated, I thought actually it would be higher, that one in ten people are affected from aerophobia or aviophobia, given that I have that, I've mm. not ever heard the term used. But I am a really terrible flyer. I've got better since I've had children. I, don't, I think when I'm on the Why plane with them... Because you have to be cool. Not to have to be cool, because I'm distracted. Yes, okay. I don't want to... I'm trying to yeah. snakes, and I'm like, oh, lovely snake, <laughs> and then I put it in a book. Yeah. Scream. I did scream my head off when I saw one on holiday once with the Ooh. children. I was like, as I was screaming, I realised that they were with me. Yeah, because like I, couldn't, nothing I just can do. couldn't keep it yeah. in. But, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely got better. I stopped taking... um Thanyan. Yeah, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> Thanyan, yeah. I used to... You know the champagne and caviar houses they have at the airport? I used to, that was champagne, two value, before I got on the plane. And then i just be passed out <laughs> in the chair. But I have got better. I'm genuinely, again, it's the control freak in me. Mm. But I've had moments when there's been really bad turbulence and I'm just like, I want to get off, I want to get off, I need to get off, And you can't, obviously, and it's a horrible, horrible fear. What is your fear? Like, like what are you scared like of? Poor, yeah.
1: Do you like play scenarios in your head, and that's what sets you off? I'm like different? Daily
2: Mail couple on. Yeah. Oh my god! You know, I'm I'm terribly. I don't sleep a wink on a plane ever. The only time I've ever slept on a plane is Valium and and champagne that would knock that me out. Right. Mm. But I I do not. So when we flew um, to New York, my husband surprised me with at first, and we were in row one. And um, I'm better when I'm in business that sounds awful. I didn't want to think there's a lot of people on a plane. <laughs> it's so cause you've almost Just I feel more bit. i I feel, feel a, bit, I front front a bit space. stressed when I see all those people anyway and I hate flying back from the States. It's always really bumpy to see. And um he was asleep and I, I like to be able to see the air hostess. I have this thing and it was it was one of the things in here when it said inform the crew so I always go up to the crew when I got on the plane and I say, just so you know I'm really scared of flying. I'm okay if you're up but and I've got my seatbelt on, but if you have to sit down that's when I'm really, that's when I really going down. Yeah. And if it does get really bumpy, can you just come and tell me it's okay? And before we fly, fly back, they came out and she was like, oh, well, the pilot's here. He'll come and chat to you. And anyway, the pilot's chatted to me for about 45 minutes. I was kind of like, shouldn't Should you be getting off right fly, now? Yeah. But it was really interesting talking to him. And he sort of was talking to me about bumpy roads and all these things. And actually it did help a bit. My brother did a course, because he's a, he doesn't like flying,
4: and it's a BA course that he thrown you, go and do all these lectures, and then they fly you down to Bournemouth, and they basically explain all the noises. So I, and the same as issue with the sleeping, like I feel like if I'm not awake, they're not concentrating. <laughs> so that's like this direct correlation, mm, yeah. obviously not, but between me, and so I feel like if I'm not there, they won't be concentrating hard enough. And actually, we flew back from France in the summer, and we were, I was with my children, my husband, and we came into land, and as we were landing, it seemed really bumpy, and I'm like thinking, doesn't actually seem that cool, but I'm sure it's fine. And we landed and took off straight away. like, What is going on? Yeah. I'm I'm like, the landing, going? yeah. And, and then, so then there's people talking. talking. No one's You're talking. like, like oh, hello. Can someone come over to speak and just oh, tell oh, me that this, okay, okay. yeah. this doesn't seem good? some, there was I was sitting next to this big heavy goods
3: driver. He's like, Oh, you know what's happened? You know, he's like run out of the runway, and it's not great. And I'm like, can you just stop <laughs> talking? And in the end, it was that we had to go all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. I love flying, and my oldest son particularly lo- we love like airports. We're like, let's get to the know. airport two hours early. Yeah. Oh. The whole thing is so so fun, and like what we'll movies? And we're we'll, like, go on the BA website like <laughs> the week before, and like plan out what movies we're gonna watch. We totally <laughs> love it. And um, my husband is really anxious about flying, and I hate flying with him. I, and 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 what two things that are really annoying? Number one, he's passed it on to my next son. He's quite generally quite an anxious child, so my next son is now terrified of flying, oh, no. which is awful. um, for a little chop, tro- you know he's yeah. just generally anxious about things and so now he's really frightened about flying so he gets really worried like the day before we're going on flight oh. slightly like not totally still love it but it's like slightly <laughs> my <some, yeah, laughs> enjoyment and the other thing is he's unbearable he's unbearable we get in the airport and he's like pushing us all we, all we have to be the first people on the airplane uh, he's never gonna listen to sheer like, <laughs> talking about yeah, I he had hypnosis really I didn't it was no no. I was but
2: the course i view my husband would been trying to get me to go on with these courses mm. for quite a while. But it's kind of like what
4: the captain said. It's just explaining it. Mm. You know that noise where not. you're going up and then suddenly it sounds like they've turned
2: the engines. Do you know what they said to me? Do you know what they said to me? And actually, I don't mind takeoff or landing because I know... No, I love landing because I know I'm coming down. You're you know, near the ground, ground I agree. I, the ground I'm not clapping because I don't clap in church or on things. But I want to. Like mm. I'm happy to be down. It was really interesting what the pilot said to me coming back from New York. He said that we could fly above the turbulence... He said but it would cost more money. It would cost take a lot of fuel to get above it. He said so we choose to take it on sometimes because it's more economical that way. And I actually found that really comforting because mm. like they wouldn't play with our lives mm. over the cost of fuel. You know, it's not, BA would far rather not have a plane mm. crash than pay the extra money because turbulence was so bad. So I was just really comforted by the fact that he said we could go above it. Sometimes we do it if it gets bad. Sometimes we'll just take it on because. There is TV there. TV. I thought it was quite, yeah, yeah. that was quite comforting. Anyway, so let's talk about Step Up. For those that aren't familiar with it, tell us what Step Up is. Step Up is a women's career club. It
3: is about empowering women to enjoy their careers, to feel really fulfilled at work, and also giving practical tools to achieve the goals that they aspire to in their career. Um, We do that through a variety of ways. So we have a blog, um, we have an Instagram, we've got social media, um, we have a weekly newsletter um, where we send out uh, maybe career hacks, um, we send out uh, work style information, we work with different brands to to talk about different aspects of your career, um, and we also run events. And everything actually really started from, um, from our events, including our book, which is Step Up, Confidence, Success, and Your Stellar Career in 10 Minutes a Day. Which is brilliant and it's that 10 minutes a day which is so unique and different and practical and I think the
4: 10 minutes a day is something we felt very strongly about at the beginning and it's something definitely that runs through everything that we do so at all of our events we will always do a quick workout because the thinking being that it's there's no point in us just standing there and people kind of listening and nodding you have to get you have to action what you know. These this advice, otherwise the book ends up just being another book that you read and say that was great and put it on yourself and never refer to again. And it was always meant to be a, a, a kind of you work through it. And sometimes you might want to go to the confidence chapter, another time you want to go to the work style chapter or networking or whatever kind of at that time you want to action. But in each of the chapters, there's five workouts, each being ten minutes long. So kind of taking the advice and, and turning it into practical workouts, and they they can be everything from you know. Talking, one of them is about kind of self promoting to a taxi driver or you know, going through your wardrobe with your your best friend or whatever it is. It's it's also quite fun to do it in those ways, and it, it definitely keeps us, it, it helps us to package things up in ways that people can use um, practically. We're all busy,
3: right? So, you don't have hours to digest a career tone so we wanted to make it kind of a quick fire. Mm. There's there's loads of research that says that if you um, only spend 10 minutes a day on career behaviours, so those would be behaviours that are outside of actually doing your day job, mm. so outside of writing an article or doing a presentation, um, things like uh, expanding your network, working on your leadership skills, working on your tone of voice in a presentation or um, reaching out to a mentor, just 10 minutes a day of those um, has a huge impact on your career in in uh, to spending 10 days on doing a day 10 minutes on doing 10 minutes more of your day job and it's something that women particularly again this is research based and women particularly don't do so that's kind of that's where it comes from so it, there is really good reason to actually spend 10 minutes a day doing these extra things that you might not ordinarily do mm, there
2: you go and what about step up school because well tell us about this it's been phenomenal I mean the response you've had it sold out in what twenty four hours or something in less. It was Crazy. like five hours or something. We well, we do our events quarterly events
4: at the Hoxton and um, different themed by different kind. Con- we've done speed networking and um, what we've done done.
3: confidence, build a business around your passion. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've done lots of different, and we do also lots of events with brands as well. So for example, we're doing this tour of the UK at the moment with Karen Millen. Um, and So the school is
4: the school is almost linking together all the chapters in the book and our events. So you sign up for a year-long program, and you get we're actually not running them over the summer. So you get ten monthly meetups, and um, it's very much aimed at entrepreneurs and freelancers. So our regular kind of Foxton events are always in the evening, and we get a real range of women coming mm-hmm. from lots of different backgrounds. But we wanted to help. Um, or or facilitate um, building a network for women who aren't necessarily working in an office so part of Step Up School is um, empowering women through skills, so again it's the same kind of topics as in our book, so networking and self-promotion, we're doing a style one at Smashbox Studio, but also um, creating a network for them and and linking them together so that they have that, you know, the power of a network is kind of exponential compared to what you're doing in your day job and so we want to facilitate that, we have kind of women that come to all our events anyway so we thought why not kind of harness onto that and create a proper programme that we are then um, early next year are going to be doing an online version so you can sign up for a nominal kind of monthly fee um, and then you will get um, your kind of workouts and your practical sheets and and, and sign up and kind of, if you're not based in London because we are very London centric because there's only two of us and there's only so much we can do but hopefully be able to uh, spread that step up school um, vibe nationally and Mm -hmm. globally. Awesome.
3: What's really interesting is that we have actually had people sign up to it who also are employed. Yeah. So there's just this real, and, and, and the thing that, that sparked us doing it was, um, you know, we were always thinking, about okay, well, how, how is Step Up going to grow? It's been really, really organic. Um, and we've had people coming up to us that are about some of these kind of faithful followers and people who are replying to all our newsletters and are really engaged with what we're doing. So, you know, um, there are there are other people out there doing kind of um, courses, and we'd love it. If you guys did a course, we would be there. It would be really powerful for us. Yeah, wanna, in your modern way. You yeah. As well,
2: because some of them are a bit so yeah. Dry, dry. Dry, yeah. So, yeah so,
3: so so that's the idea and so, and so we, we kind of thought, you know, this, this will be amazing for entrepreneurs, freelancers. You know, even if, if it was us and we were doing stuff up about another topic, we would love to have something like that. Um, and we've launched it and we've actually got people who are taking mornings off work to come and attend. So I think there's a real hunger out there. There
2: is a self-improvement yeah. and, you know, going back to your personal brand again. And, yeah, just wanting to invest in yourself.
1: I think what's interesting about the programme that you're going to bring out, and it's over whatever a, loop, a year's period or whatever, is more interesting than just these other books that do kind. You read one book and it might not benefit you anyway because you've just read that book for a few hours and then you pretty much forget about everything that's been said in the yeah. book and you never apply any of it to your life and I think taking the time like you say 10 minutes a day or if it's just remembering throughout that entire year to keep building on mm. your brand rather than just you know you have a panic two weeks before your appraiser and you think what well, have I done this year to improve my <laughs> number I do, work? do you? I, <laughs> I try really hard <laughs> I try really hard to like Keep that momentum up, but mm. I think it's hard when we are, everyone is so busy to give yes. yourself. That it's exercise. a good way yeah. to make it fun. Keep it yeah. in mind, and also
3: in terms of like your career long term as well. It doesn't have to be that practical. Like I read Lean In, and like that was great. Couldn't tell you a single thing it said. Now mm. you just forget the information. So if you've yeah. got kind of digestible exercises to kind of keep you thinking about like your career, and it's path, putting yourself in, in, a in a mindset
2: to just continue. And also in an environment.
4: World. So something that we always say about our events, and we we don't like to do a kind of classic panel event we're always trying to do something different and innovative and fun is that what we're giving people women is a feeling and actually that feeling is just Either, oh, actually, you know what, I can feel that about myself. Or, oh, that skill's really helpful, I'm going to use that tomorrow. Or, I really just like being in a room with other women, that was actually really nice. So, however that feeling is kind of ingested by the people that come, there's just always a really nice feeling at our events. And that feeling's really, really, really powerful. Yeah. And
2: how many of the women that you meet, that you interact with, are mothers wanting to make a career change? And I'm interested that, A, you're both sort of keeping with your respective careers... Finella, yours is in the corporate world, Alice, in fashion. How much have you done this because you're mothers and you want to make work in around your lives? How much of the women that you interact with, are mothers wanting to make a change? Do they go hand in hand? Or do you just happen to be at that stage of your life? I think when we wrote the book... We had the discussion that we don't want this to be a book for working mums. We
4: are both working mums, and it would have been very easy. In fact, you spoke to someone who said, oh, it must be a book Yeah, for they were like, oh, mums. I'm really
3: looking forward to your like, working mums handbook. And I was like, um... That's I <laughs> no, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's such an assumption. And yes, being a mum is a really big part of yeah. our lives, and it has had an impact on both of our careers. Um, but that's not... Um, at the centre of our of mm-hmm. our working life, but that's actually so refreshing to hear. Do you agree, Mark? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I think so much of it, like so much of the rhetoric around working once you've had children is about. Working once you've had children, and not about like okay, that's nice you've had kids, but like let's it's still go like forget about that, yeah. about it, you know, in terms of your career, it's quite refreshing
4: to yeah. hear that.
2: What's
3: next for Step Up?
4: Well, you've got your hands full, we, we we're
2: busy. We had
4: planned to just do one intake of Step Up School, um, so September to September, um, but we were, I mean, it sold out so quickly that we decided to open another entry for January, so we've already got a kind of um burgeoning waiting list for January, so definitely running two in tandem, which was something we didn't expect, but. Future exciting um we're working with more brands we just want to be the go-to for women's careers that's what we're doing and we kind of do that by working um for ourselves and doing our own things but working with other brands who've got different type of reach to us um to really as we said before kind of modernize the women's careers conversation and just make it something that's fun and interesting and practical and useful
2: and thank god you do this for all those women that are learning so much and reading your book and following you on instagram at the step up club subscribing to your newsletter attending your events Um, thank you so much for joining us i feel like we could have talked for hours um but that's it for this week if you have any feedback then do email podcast at shillarts.com and if you like that then too please subscribe rate and review us on itunes see you next week